Holiday talking more or less. HTML is brought to you by the fine folks here at cageclub.me for all things movies, music, media, comics, holidays, and more. Check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Well, you know the season is merry and bright, and it's the HTML holiday special time. Geek together and Jonah bringing you that holiday smile. Also, Joey. I don't want a lot this Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't actually care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just care about the paper more than you would think would be safe or make my wish come true. Welcome to Holiday HTML number two. I am, of course, Nico. I'm about to get booed. And this here is Kevo. And hey, I'm no Scrooge. Yeah, you're welcome. I certainly am. But we have two more people to help us on this holiday jam. So I'd like to welcome... Welcome back, Jonah. Welcome back, Joey. Because it's the holiday, and we've got them here because it's snowy. Nope. <laughs> well, guys, welcome back to our continuing coverage of Freeform's art-shattering, scrum-trelescent. I mean, like, when I think, like, high form of the art, I think Citizen Kane, I think Hieronymus Bosch, I think... Fast and the Furious 3 Trochio Trick, I can't speak, and I can I can fuck that joke up really good. And then I think Rap Battle on Freeform. Guys, welcome back to what must be the most important discussion we can be having. When we started, nine strangers were trapped in a van, told that everything they do is pointless and going to be thrown away, torn to pieces before their eyes. They're going to be put on camera and stared at by America. And by, judged. And judged. Judged. Judged by a mean gay man in loud suits. Judge, judge, judge. Judged rudely. And this is not Judge Judy. It is not. And the first, the first failure was marched out through a pair of sacrificial monster scissors. And I would hate to see the moil who could use those. And that then brought us to the second elimination where they took from us our beautiful baby boy. Who, you know, Anthony, I think it's, and like, I'm going to say something kind of like weird for a second. But I actually thought one of the things that was really cool about this show was that people shared some pretty honest things about themselves. Yeah, some people made it clear they were just here to promote themselves. But in the first episode, we actually got a kind of cool confession from Anthony. I think it's really awesome that he was really comfortable talking about being not just adopted, but identifying with his adoptive family. We need to talk more about different kinds of families because he was raised in an Italian home and he very much identifies Italian. To cast him into a culture that he doesn't feel a connection to, though it's his right to ultimately choose to later on. That's the kind of progressive viewership we should be showing. And I mean, he designs jewelry for drag queens. He's pretty gay. So it's not like he 
lacked for diversity in other ways. And I just thought he was gorgeous and thought it was really cool that he shared. Get it, girl. So that brings us to, I guess, we'll call this the dark turning point <laughs> of rap battle. This is the point where the show goes deeply off the rails. Joey, when we asked you to watch this with us and we asked you to join us for rap battle, did you have any, like, I mean, this is dick punching. Did you have any idea what you were in for? No, and I'm still not exactly sure what I watched. You had sort of properly prepared me that you say it was episode four, which we'll get to in this episode of the podcast, where things really, truly go off the rails, where the drama really kicks into overdrive. And the first three episodes, while not boring, I did not enjoy them nearly to the extent that the three of you did. But episode four, which we'll get to in a little bit, it's it's definitely a thing that I watched and definitely <laughs> things... It, it was it was sort of surprising. I think it is in, in that certain regard that you were just saying about Anthony sharing his life. I feel like these people are expressing themselves in a way that, again, goes back to what we were saying last episode, that I don't know that they know that they're on television. There's something very honestly candid. There's something, dare I say, unwrapped about these contestants. Jonah, as a reality connoisseur, how do these contestants fare against Drag Race Diva or a Project Runway All-Star? Well, I can definitely tell you that someone in this episode was given a little bit too much of the producer juice, where they believe they were much better than they were being received. Are you talking about Eddie's slow descent into Arkham Madness? No, I'm talking about Mia, who full-on thought she was going to win both challenges, because I really do believe a producer kept saying, you were doing so well, and why aren't the judges like recognizing your talent? Like Your stuff is really good the divas on drag race the dolls as they would say and the i'm hesitant to call them something nice i, I guess i'll just say goblins on <laughs> project runway are i don't the pruns the, goblins absolutely the pruns goblins, a lot of them don't feel like real people these feel like genuine people thrown into a situation that they didn't really have an idea of what they were in store for most of those other reality competition shows people often have an idea of okay this is what we're going to be doing a lot of them feel more genuine because they're not on or trying to promote a brand unless your name is Agla. This is more of real people trying to do activities <laughs> and not do a challenge. So you, your take on it is this is like really gay HGTV summer camp. Yes. Well, this is going to go some real dark places this episode. Honestly, there's a weird metaphor that starts the third episode, and it's wrap the outside with what's inside. And this is the point at which I felt like everything began to progress uncomfortably. This was the first accusation of sabotage, <laughs> which I can't believe on a competitive gift wrapping show, which I can't believe exists. There are accusations of sabotage. Joe gets flower petals. Gigi got buttons. Mia got stamps. Anita got gold coins. Eddie got candy. Now, to hear Kevo, please, Kevo, I, I had to rewind it to believe this happened. What, Olga's? Olga received colored glass stones. Or as Sherry corrected, you have a jar of marbles. It was one of the most, did that just happen? Moments in television. Like, it's like, Cheryl just sort of blinked a couple of times and was real nice about it. 
it, it's kind of like if she'd gotten, you know, like those green army men and she had said little plastic men. Like, she's not technically wrong. They are colored glass stones. But like, most people would just call them marbles, honey. However, speaking of just plain wrong, Kimberly, if Kimberly made one more motherfucking by the rocks that I got joke, I was going to write a letter to the network to talk about the hate crime that that was. Oh, but she was fooled by the rocks that she got, didn't you know? Because they were gemstones. A very gay distinction, and that's coming from a gay person. But, you know, her son collects them. They're all over her shelf, so she immediately felt a connection to her son. (laughs) Which, that sort of... Did anybody else go to that, I found my son's bracelet? Yes! Craigslist post! So, look it up. I thought that there was something... Like, the producers were getting excited that they were sitting on drama because we heard everybody's favorite phrase again. Galaxy of stars. What the fuck else are in galaxy? Like, what other galaxies are there? I'm literally thinking of changing the name of our next podcast to Galaxy of Stars. I'm not Joey, don't worry. But like, huh. I'm on board with it. I like it. Galaxy of Stars at HTML. It's seriously, like, and I don't want to be too attacky about it because I'll be honest, her Gumby Dog ruching project for last episode, we didn't give it enough props. It was genuinely beautiful. Genuinely. She's a very talented designer, but I thought her covered kind of glass stones galaxy thing, it kind of looked like... Like a kid outgrew playing Moncala and was taking astronomy in school and used the Moncala stones to decorate their textbook. Okay, yeah. I think it came out really beautiful, but I think that she, like a few people on this challenge, didn't really use enough of her item for it to really justify her item. Well, it's what they said in the rules of what they were looking for for this challenge is the item inside your box was meant to be the main star. And And she tried making stars and planets and a sun and tried explaining it, and it did not pan out. She was doing too much, again, of doing what Olga wants to do as opposed to doing what the judges told her to do. Exactly. My favorite part about this challenge is that whoever did the lower thirds, where you have the name and then what they have, wrote the things that they have like they were part of their name. So it was like Gigi-Buttons. So like her name (laughs) was Gigi-Buttons, Kimberly Rocks, Olga Marbles, Joe Flower Petals. Mia Stamps. Mia Stamps. Yeah. It's it's the weirdest, like, it's just the little things like that where I'm like, oh, nobody knows what they're doing, like, in front of or behind the camera. This is, like, everyone's first time in this rodeo. Mia Stamps sounds like it should be the name of a mail carrier on Sesame Street. Joe Flower Petals. Yeah, that's all he is. Uh, Can we talk about Joe thinking good colors are tacky? Joe goes on a really weird journey in this two-part episode set. I, I have feelings about it. I think he gave up on life because Anthony left. Yeah, Joe has some weird... Like, he he almost looks embarrassed that they're like, that's your signature fan now. And he's like, mm, it is. Mm. But then he keeps pumping that well. Well, because I guess if you're going to be, like, fan Joe, clack it, bitch! And, like, <laughs> I feel like he just got a little clack happy. And he's, he, like, stacked the He class. does the fans for Anthony because Anthony had a fan when he was writing his little... Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it all comes together. Clack it through the stars, baby boy. Clack I crack the, the code. Stars. 
I think you mean you clacked the code. He's so sassy and mean all the time, and, like, he calls his pedals tacky-looking as he's describing his package. You're not even trying to properly sell yourself. Well, because, like, they always say that they find Anita's stuff a little bit tacky and over-the-top, but, like, I described her as that white girl because she is, in a good way, she is the best version of your friend who has everything in pink. And she's that woman that owns four little white dresses, four little black dresses, and four little pink dresses and yet she'll buy whatever color she needs for your wedding but like she is a woman who knows how to straddle fashion and tacky so that joe is like tacky's fine no tacky's fine if you do it like anita tacky is tacky if you do it like that of course eddie once again wins eddie Gigi, and anita came in the top which you know eddie and anita really spend all their time in the top anita's placement in the top for the swift gift challenge i think was definitely just to piss mia off because they the judges really did enjoy mia's gift and they were kind of like Anita we don't really know exactly what's going on but Cheryl loved it which is why Anita was in the top this is something from reality TV often smaller challenge wins will go to people to make other people upset this is I think one of those cases especially because I think Mia's and Anita's were essentially very similar it just sort of felt like they put their item along where the ribbon on a box goes that's you know it's not bad but it's not exceptional creative in my eyes. However, there was very little in this world as creative as some of these designs based on a city. Dear God. They were then challenged to design based on a city. We need to make sure that we address who assigns them. Oh, yeah. The the most important part of this entire series, there's a skydiving Santa who then leaves with the judges, like, presumably could have a three-way. Like, they're gonna fuck that Santa. (laughs) Carson says, Santa, I've been on the naughty list. We got some things to talk about. Great big sack. Yeah, the Santa definitely creeps me out. There's something very creepy to me when adult-oriented programming has a very unironic Santa, and especially when there's inappropriate jokes involved. Like, that's a line I don't enjoy crossing. Because Freeform used to be ABC Family, is that correct? Correct. Freeform is traditionally, generally, for probably, like, family-oriented programming, correct? Freeform used to be more family and now is trying to push itself as more of a teen and tween network. But even then, I think pushing that line with Santa on that network is risky because there's a lot of low-end tweens and just below who are certainly watching Freeform. And there's also in 5, episode 5, which we'll get to next episode, there is a drilling a box joke in this show where it's like, this feels like the kind of show- Right? That you could watch with your family, and then, like, once every two or three episodes is like, wait, why, why, why would you leave that in? So this show, which seems like a not incredibly low budget, but doesn't have the flashiest, fanciest of budgets. I think last episode, you know, we were talking about them in the mall and them sort of having, you know, limited resources to not be able to film there for very long. And so I think it feels kind of like, oh, they could just be playing for, you know, bragging rights or whatever. But they're playing for $50,000 in cash and prizes, their own custom wrapping paper. And it just feels like this is a big deal in a community that I know nothing about. Please let it be known. I want to know nothing about. 
but they're playing for like a, a sort of a significant prize. $50,000 to wrap things? Like, yeah, cool. I do not approve of your life choices and like this is how you want to make a career, but like if you can make 50 grand in two weeks, by all means, do that. Good work if you can get it. Now, this challenge had one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. It turns out no one knows anything about anywhere, whether it was Day of the Dead Nolans or it was Ballet Shoe Paris or it was Requiem for a Dream New York. These cities really missed the mark for me, top to bottom. A lot of them did. I feel like a couple of people who were placed in the top were only placed there because everybody else was worse. And that's not something you want to do. You want to be placed high because you did well, not because by comparison you're better. So the cities themselves, I don't quite know how all of this got assigned, like how they thought up some of this, but the cities they chose were Eddie had Vegas, Joe had Honolulu, Anita had Nolens, Kimberly had Rome, Gigi had Paris, Agla had New York, and Mia had London. Now, each one of these is kind of more ridiculous than the last. Anita played up Day of the Dead because Mexico. Okay. Gigi talked almost exclusively about ballerinas. Kimberly's idea of Rome is literally Audrey Hepburn in Roman Holiday. That's not at all what she executed. I just like that that was what she went like that was like oh that's that's my favorite movie or whatever so I'm gonna do that like it's just a weird association that still kind of like her coliseum was cool I guess I kind of felt like it looked like a sixth grader's diorama yeah it was a little holly hobby like her fourth grader did it exactly wait does she have kids (laughs) and I thought that for my money it was possible that Mia's London did deserve to be sent home while it was stacked very well and she did a lot of balance and it was a good gift box it was just not pushing the envelope enough she kind of just did the assignment it wasn't anything imaginative she didn't tell a story she didn't do anything creative she just placed things in a box But it's for that reason that I think Anita should have gotten a worse grade because she didn't even get the assignment. Half or more of her presentation was Day of the Dead, not the right holiday, not the right region. And I frankly couldn't really tell that hers was a gift box in any way. I absolutely agree. I think, although I do love her, I think, not that she should have been sent home for it, but Anita should have definitely been in the bottom three on the naughty list because her, if you're not able to tell what city your gift box is from by looking at it and it's completely reading like an unassociated holiday, you did something wrong, no matter how beautiful it looks. And you know what? I'm going to be fair to her. I don't think Olga should have been on the bottom for this. It's a little maudlin, but I really liked her presentation. I think the art came out nice. I really appreciate that the back of the presentation wasn't naked. She did something with the apple with that red gauze. I think it came out really lovely. She should have at least been safe. And she either, was she the only one or maybe one of the few that actually had a connection to her city other than like, oh, it was in my favorite movie. Like it, she actually, like this is what I was saying last episode that there feels like a connection here and heart and this is like it feels like nothing she can do not that this is necessarily a cheerful thing that you want to give as a gift but it feels like she's putting literally her heart and soul into this and they're like cool but like it's not pretty she was telling like a story about it and i felt like it was at this point where she almost literally could not win but i think that again goes to the heart of the problem with olga which is she wants to do the art that she wants to do she doesn't necessarily want to do what needs 
needs to be done to excel at this competition. It's beautiful art, but is that necessarily the sort of pageantry, cheerful Christmas story that they are going to want to be told? No, and that's what's unfortunate because she took her interpretation of New York City when she moved there not knowing any English on doing the American dream of moving to the big city and making it and doing what you want to do in love, but... That interpretation, while great for art, again, is as you says, it's not what they're looking for. Though I don't agree with her placement, I understand that she was, because that's the route she was so set on doing, she was never going to win this challenge. The highest compliment I think I can pay Olga is that this competition was too vapid for her. I think she wanted to do something a lot more personal and a lot more... Elevated. Elevated, yes. Exactly. A lot more elevated. Boutique, another great word that I was just going to say that one too. And that's not what this was. She directly says, I want to make art. And it's like, that's great, but you're not exactly making art. You're rapping stuff. But I think to, to a certain extent, like she is doing her own thing. And I know that's not exactly what they're looking for, but I also feel like there are challenges that we're going to be talking about in this episode, where it's like, do as much, like, literally it's like, do as many of these as you can, and they're like, I'm just going to make them pretty. It's like, well, you're not doing the challenge, and I feel like she's doing her own thing, but I feel like no one is really doing what they want. Everyone's sort of setting it on their own path, it's just that, like, most of them are kind of going toward this, like, generic, like, I don't know what they're doing. Olga is just, you know, too beautiful for this world. She's just being precious, and I don't blame her, because, I'll be honest, I don't know that I think that she can't win. I don't know that I think the world is set against her here, but I know that I don't think Eddie should have won for his Vegas display. It was fine, and I certainly saw Vegas in it, but it was a bit plain. Everyone kind of dropped the ball on this challenge. I don't even think it was that hard necessarily, but I don't think anybody really wowed me, and I was like, oh, they definitely should have won. Two people in the top between Anita and Joe didn't have good baskets. Joe's, I, I was not a fan of Joe's, and I say that he was only there because everybody else comparatively did worse. I felt very strongly the same way that this competition was a little bit more phoned in by everyone. Well, and it's really funny that you're picking on Joe a little bit because I do agree. This was kind of like a turning point for me with Joe. Eddie won, Mia went home, and it was really clear at this point that there was kind of like, there was kind of three shows. There was Eddie and Anita, who are very polished and are very kind of like magic-y, Christmas elf, joyful, but would might, might look a little scary at times. Joe and Gigi, who are all about that Christmas magic, and Kimberly and Olga, who feel like... They honestly felt more like they worked at a Macy's Holiday Express than they are trying to bring me Christmas magic. But it almost feels like that's the kind of show that this show wants to be, though, right? Because it does feel sort of like the mass production, like they're feigning the artsy, craftsy, sort of highbrow thing. But it feels like what they actually want is for the masses, for the mainstream, I think. I get that. Yeah, and I I feel like that's part of the magic of it. You kind of go in hoping for substance and you get nothing but style until you get the weird substance that the fourth episode brings and the fourth episode brings something unbelievable it brings sabotage it really does this mia's departure really does set everybody against olga and this fourth episode did feature something i really liked in the form of the multicultural perspectives on paper art hiroshiki origami and setsumi which i just thought was really cool and they gave you two things to wrap and one thing was meant to be wrapped loosely in the style of 
of like a bag and largeness and presentation and the other was meant to be simple elegant and tight the papers that they used were honestly complicated patterns and some of them were complex textures that were trickier to work with to the point where a number of the competitors had never worked with them it was unshocking to me that both Olga and Anita had experience with some of the more complicated textures whereas Joe who very probably just hadn't had access to them struggled a little bit more with these materials I found myself highly enjoying this challenge but a little bit frustrated because I felt like for highlighting different kinds of Japanese paper art we really only talked about three things in the same patterns over and over again Gigi had Furushiki and origami Ogla had Sitsumi and origami Anita had Sitsumi and origami Kimberly had Sitsumi and Furushiki Joe had Sitsumi and Furushiki and Eddie had Sitsumi and origami it's a lot of words but it's also not a lot of words it's like the same three words over and over again I think that's the point right noticeably no wabi-sabi yeah that's kind of what I found frustrating yeah. thank god no wabi-sabi I actually find it very funny that you mentioned that Joe struggled with this challenge a bit because I thought this was the one of those times in reality competition shows when they want to push a certain competitor a little more they'll often throw that competitor a little bit of a bone in giving them a challenge that they'll excel in when the lovely host explaining all of these different techniques started to talk about pleading for one of them I was immediately like Joe's going to get that style Joe's going to win this mini challenge in which he did the two different styles were meant to have like a conversation kind of sort of I thought Gigi's counterintuitive color and visual palette play was a really stunning example of depth in art I thought Anita's was unmatched but there was no story or love like it was really interesting to see how matched versus unmatched was meant to tell a story and one of them excelled at it and one of them failed at it but speaking of fails oh my god Wanda dinging the shit out of Olga for having her folds go the wrong way. Cheryl goes, oh, is that, is that a, a ding? And she's like, that's a ding. I have to say once again, my biggest problem with this challenge for most of the people is I didn't feel that the colors to me very much said Christmas. I think Olga and Joe's choices of paper were probably the most Christmassy to me. And I know when you are incorporating a style of art that's foreign to you, it's, you know, a lot to think about, but I feel as though that's supposed to be part of what you're doing here. It's not, you know, it's not just random rap battle, it's Christmas rap battle here. Come on. And that's why I'm gonna give Joe this win. I'm not a really big fan of Joe as a competitor in this show, but I felt like Joe really captured Santa Sack with his Furushiki, and I thought it was actually a really great job. However, he lost me immediately when in the interview he goes, I went from, like, the worst to, like, the best. So, like, I'm Joe, shave your head. Well, you see, now that Mia's gone, somebody else has to be overconfident. I mean, it's not his job that he does professionally for a living. Speaking of overconfident, this main challenge, this all-nighter, every single person was overconfident. Do you think they actually wrapped for 24 hours? Oh, yeah. On Netflix, there's a reality show where people are forced to count quarters and stay up 24 hours and then do challenges with the quarters, like flipping them and things. It is an unbelievably weird show. It's called Awake. Like, literally, they like to keep people awake for 24 hours on shows nowadays. It's, it's one of those acceptable forms of torture. If you can't use Chinese 
face fingernail torture. You can keep people awake for 24 hours or drip water on their forehead till they go insane. So I think later in the episode when Sherry tries saying it as in pulling an all-nighter, you just proved what family goes through. Like, no. But I think there is some context for the notion of staying up all night wrapping presents and it fitting the theme of Christmas present wrapping. Because it doesn't feel, like, I agree with all of that, but it doesn't feel like they wrap enough presents in that sleigh to have had two people wrapping for 12 or 24 hours, right? I definitely thought the exact same thing. I felt very much like that had to be, like, maybe a prorated example of their best work. Like, oh, this person did 200, this person did 180, and this person did 150. So take 20, 18, and 15, and take a variance of each. The sleighs did feel a little lacking, but you know who sleigh wasn't lacking? Olga and Kimberly's because she made another dog, but decorated the sleigh with it when they didn't have to. Oh my god, Kimberly was so mad. Kimberly kept trying to defend Olga. But Kimberly is the most creative and greatest person in the world. We didn't even get to the hot glue god controversy where Anita blames Olga with her eyes and says, your reputation precedes you? So the teams are chosen by Joe first. He won. Joe gets yeah. his first pick because he won the Swift Gift Challenge, so he picks his BFF Gigi. Eddie, who came in second, I guess, uh, gets to pick his pick next, who is Anita, and then Kimberly is stuck with Olga. But by Kimberly default. says, I think I'm the only person here who does not have a problem with Olga, so it's going to be fine. So she thinks, what a foolish Christmas nightmare she walks into. It is one of those situations where I almost couldn't believe one or two of the moments that occurred here. Joe literally uncovering. First of all, Kimberly covering her train set feels a little weird. Joe uncovering her train set feels a little deranged. How difficult is it to make that? It doesn't seem wildly difficult. Like, was Joe never a child? And he sobbed. He's an adult man who pouted. Is he the one who, he's the one who pouted when everyone wanted their pajamas on, right? Yeah. And then he complained because his slippers were too slippery. Why didn't you just wear sneakers? There's no reason you couldn't have. And then he's sobbing on the ground, not being able to put a train set together. Well, his two go-tos are crying and falling. He does fall a lot. (laughs) He really put a slippery wet and wet sign around him. There was also a lot of blaming other people. And remember the thing with the staples with him, too? Oh my god, how am I supposed to know children shouldn't play with staples? Because you know what, uh, Joey, you made a comment at one point, I think it might have been in the previous episode even, you know, you're disappointed they didn't open the presents. And I even meant to say at the time, I'm a little disappointed that that's not an element of the comment competition in terms of, you know, you've made this beautiful piece of art, sure. How is that going to unwrap? And shouldn't that be part of all of this competition? Shouldn't unwrapping the gift and how it affects your perception of the gift you're being given, shouldn't that be part of it? And then yes, shouldn't Joe consider children shouldn't be near staples? Especially in either episode five or six, when they have to like take a gift and hide it, disguise it as another gift. Like, I would love to see them unwrap that, too. Be like, oh, it's a go- it's not a golf set. Like, there's so much opportunity here either for just someone to unwrap, like, just like a random passerby. Or if you, like, you want to have, like, a heartwarming moment, they wrap all these toys for Toys for Tots. Like, show footage of the kids opening them. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many opportunities to show the after effects. Whereas by not showing us, I think we're led to believe, if you think about it, that all this just went in the garbage. The conveyor belt wasn't actually connected to the back, and you can actually see some of the 
worker, like the PAs having to put the toys on the conveyor belt behind the curtain. And like, you know, somebody's just pulling a, a rope to keep it moving. Now I have to bring up my favorite phrase that we discovered from this series because it is coming up once again, Olga's galaxy of stars, which she insists on trying to incorporate yet again into this challenge. And Kimberly pleading with Olga to go faster, saying this is for you, is one of the funniest and weirdest things I've ever seen on reality competition. I also really loved the point at which she was like, no, it's okay. She can do it but you're gonna you're gonna get back to work right? you're gonna get back to work right like you could see her trying to convince herself this wasn't gonna get her sent home it was the most i can't believe my team is gonna lose color wars moment i've ever seen on television but this is of course the moment where everything takes a dark turn the resolution of this episode involves some of the most vicious non-hair pulling hair pulling i've ever seen in my life the geometry of it all, where they're sitting on two couches, like, it feels like that should not be the set, the literal physical setting of how this should all unfold either. Yeah, right? Now, I, I have to say, I noted on the second watch of episode four, the sabotage debacle with a glue gun. It's Kimberly who is the first person to shout out of nowhere the word sabotage. She's not even involved in the situation. I also love Olga's line of, sabotage is for people who do not have the skills to win, and I have the skills to win. Hot take, Ogla. And it's really interesting because everybody kind of stirs the shit in their own way. Kimberly starts it in the room. Ogla decides to engage violently. Anita kind of fires back, but it isn't until they're on that stage in the evening that Eddie lets Kimberly have it. Well, she was poking at him a little bit, and it was I think because she misconstrued something he was saying in terms of him talking about Mommy Dearest. He was paying her a compliment but like i don't think she understood the joke he was making and then she starts saying all that crap about how her chain is just a little faster and stronger that's not how chains work kimberly it felt like there was uh, something we weren't seeing because it a lot of that argument, a lot of what was going on there felt a, very personal and I felt like there was a lot of drama that was off camera. Him saying, don't you sit there all prim and proper acting like you're this all high and mighty or uh, in the next episode, Kimberly claims that Eddie has called her wicked and all but perfect. All too perfect. All too perfect. And it's- all too perfect yeah that's never been shown on camera so there's a lot that's not we're not seeing and it's <laughs> really like uh, <laughs> i can't wait to get to eddie's apology i can't wait well before we can get to that we have to get to the bully yes. moment oh, oh my, my god. god i was bullied i was a little fat boy <laughs> oh my god well i was a little fat kid on the playground who was picked on his entire life and it made me stronger and Gigi's laughing it felt like in this moment that Eddie was pro-bullying he's like everyone gets bullied <laughs> it made me a better person and then in the next episode he's like stop bullying me it's like well you just you can't have it both ways but like this is when Eddie's saying you know Kimberly's trying to show America she's a nice mom and then Olga's saying she's the sweetest smartest person on earth like it is a wild it, like Jonah you're right like where is the drama like we don't see this do these 
these people actually like each other? Like, by the end of the show, it seems like they have a kinship that they like each other. But there are times here where, like, it feels like all nine of them loathe and despise one another to the point where, like, I will not see you. Like, I will not look at you. And I can't gauge, because I don't think we're seeing the interest. Like, they're showing us all the boring stuff. They're not showing us the interesting, like, why do these people hate each other? Or is it just these people? Is that just how they react to each other? Well, and I thought it was so fascinating that Gigi was like, she does want to beat you. Olga, listen. At one point, she literally says, Olga, listen. Kimberly wants to win just as much as you do. She's not trying to help you win. And Olga actually says, no, I don't believe you. There's something so surreal about that moment. I have to note, once again, when they are sitting backstage and they are all sitting there in silence, the first person to bring the drama back up is, in fact, Kimberly. She plays PTO politics really well. But she was a bullying victim. She was, and I don't think she would stand for it for herself or her kid. <laughs> oh, does she have a kid? <laughs> I feel like in the end, like after all of this crazy drama goes down and Olga and Kimberly have this bond, it feels weirdly anticlimactic that Olga gets sent home. It feels like this is like, we finally had the real heel, the real villain of the series. Like, let's ride this out. They're like, nah, she's gone. It's like, wait, what? You, you can't set up the conflict and be like, all right, let's remove the conflict altogether. I agree. I was shocked that Olga went home this early. I was expecting episode five, the earliest. I honestly thought Olga was going to make it to the, the final with everything that she was doing, because I do think she's a very talented artist. Maybe not the best gift wrapper. Especially what you're talking about with storylines and villains. They got their drama on camera, and I guess they were like, we have no use for you, Olga. It, it, that's kind of what happens is when they do get what they want, they don't care about dropping a person. You're kind of sacrificial if you're not one of the people they want to win. I also found it really, really, really interesting. This is kind of the culmination of previous episode, episode three, with the gift baskets. Eddie and Kimberly talk about this kind of rivalry they have going on, but it was never seen up until that moment. And here we get a better idea of it. But it was just, it was still very weird. They don't have the best producers who understand how to tell the story properly. When Eddie was awarded the sabotage, he gives it to Kimberly and she makes his hot cocoa extra sweet as revenge and I remember watching it being like is this a thing that we're pushing and it's this thing that slowly is simmering in the background but we don't really understand why he's like there's definitely poison in here it's like well wait what what no shit why (laughs) I think about the extent that shows go to get things right Pose has three ballroom dance experts from the early 90s that sit backstage to make sure every moment of movement is exact as it should be. I just, I have to hope that backstage at this show there are both elves and (laughs) therapists because the weird screaming match that occurs is quashed by the person that actually started it in a lot of ways. Joe is like, we have all seen each other's okay, and this is the part that actually blew my mind. This is up there with, I don't know how this is even the show where Parker says boop boop, but Joe says that we've seen each other's highs and we've seen each other's lows and that's not something you get to go through with a lot of people. Wait a minute. Are you saying you don't see most people experience emotions in the course of a day? Because then I'm worried about I'm worried about you. And Joe, the crier of all people. Is he arguing that he has facial blindness and can't read expressions? Or I think he just doesn't have what friends. Is, oh god, that's that's tough because you know, I actually do think that every one of these people to be on this show, even Parker, who went home first, they all have to have some amount of actual personality. 
personality. And there is producer interference. And I do think it shines through really clearly in the fact that what is very obviously the Eddie Kimberly rivalry was pushed by the producers onto Olga and everyone. And I would love to see backstage at Rap Battle, you know, there's the Talking Dead and there's After Stranger Things, click this. It would definitely be Talking Rap Battle Unwrapped. Rap Battle Unwrapped, right? Yeah. Yeah, I desperately need Rap Battle Unwrapped and I need rapping experts to come in and I need it to have a good sense of humor. So I think I need Snoop Dogg to host it and Snoop, Snoop and Martha. And Martha Stewart. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If Freeform doesn't call us, I'm sad. I'm sad. <laughs> Guys, the second night of rap battle was a gripping tale of good versus evil, <laughs> of of right versus wrong, of me versus the flu on Thanksgiving. And I think that I'm a different person for this art. Jonah, how do you feel what you saw unfold is going to weigh on your soul going into 2020, a new year? It's... You know, a little disconcerting, and it's not in the spirit of what we do as rappers. From my couch to your couch, I salute you, because this is about rap and presence. If you can't rap, get out of here. Joey, I, I lured you into this with some sort of oh boy. John Wick Matrix-esque promise <laughs> of glorified super violence, and I think I delivered. This is, this is fucking Jawbreaker. So, how are you feeling two-thirds of the way into the bloodiest battle of the bulge since Band of Brothers. Not great. I'm glad that things have turned up to the proverbial 11 right now. I think that things are... This is kind of the drama that I was sort of hoping for the entire series. I'm still not exactly sure. Like, as I'm watching this for the first time, I don't know who I'm rooting for. I don't know who my favorites are. I know who I don't like, which is most of them. But I don't know who I'm rooting for, and I feel like I'm still, like, I'm coming out of the fog a little bit, but I'm still not loving where I am. That's fair. At this point, with our five remaining contestants in Gigi, Joe, and... Anita and Kimberly. Does anybody have any favorites? I'm still backing Anita with a second place backing for Gigi. Same. It, actually, same. I was going for Kimberly with a back of Gigi. You know, because here's the thing. Gigi might be eccentric and Gigi might be a lot. And, you know, I imagine knowing Gigi in real life might get like exhausting the way knowing me in real life gets exhausting. But I really genuinely believe every moment that Gigi is on this show. Yeah, it's to build a brand, but it's to celebrate love. And Gigi strikes me as the kind kind of person who she does this yes for the pageantry but she also cares about the person that she's rapping for in fact i think that's even sometimes what holds her back and it's sort of exemplified in that moment where olga says that she purposely wrapped presents better than others and it cuts to Gigi, who's kind of like yikes and you know anita talked about how it was a group like this that gave her her first christmas in america and i just i don't know it kind of there was like a magical holidaysness about this. It, it's a shit show. It is. It is a shit show for sure. But it's kind of a magical shit show, and it's one that I can't wait to finish up with these amazing three gentlemen: Jonah, Joey, Kevo, me. Until we come back to celebrate this bizarre series of gift dress nuts boasting on freeform Ming Fai. I hate me. Joey, where can everybody find you? You can go to CageClub.me/Joey every Tuesday, the same day that this show comes out. 
Too Fast, Too Forever, our Fast and Furious podcast comes out. Every Friday, we do the Tom Tom Club, alternating Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks. Go to cageclub.me, poke around all 26 shows. Nicholas Cage podcast, Elvis Presley film podcast, lots of other shows over there. And I'm at Soul Pop just about everywhere on the internet. And I try to be as many of those places as I can with you, brother. Well, Jonah, thank you. I appreciate you being there with me. I love being on the internet with you. It's it's cool that we're, you know, web bonded. Aw, we share the same net. We're so cute. Netskimo Brothers. Netskimo Brothers, which is a whole lot better than Net Zero Brothers. But what about Net Neutrality Brothers? Oh, please, dear God willing. Juju Jolly Jonah, where can everybody find you on the I- I- internet? Being a jolly green giant over on my Nico and Kevo's other show, Access for Podcasts, where you can check me out on feeds such as We Are Krakoa and 80s Mutant Mania. Or if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Peak Jonah. Fan fucktastic. And Kevo, partner in crime on this here amazing holiday show. I know everybody can find me at Nico Action on Instagram, and they can find our superhero, super inclusive, super amazing comic over at KidRiotComics.com. But where can everybody find you in your off time? Well, loud noise. Well, they can find me on tweeters and Insta pictures at Kevo Really, K E V O R E A L L Y, and they can find the two of us on our joint accounts under at Real Nico Kevo Action, which is where they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. But say it with me, not Twitter at Real Nico Kevo Ack A C K. And until we come back to tear the paper off the finale and find out who is dubbed <laughs> Grand Rapist. Oh boy. I don't know if I like that. We'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Well, you know the season is very and bright, and it's the HTML holiday special time. Pico, Kevo, and Jonah bringing you that holiday smile. Also, Joey.